Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I'm here with my co-host, Chuck Nice. Hey, Neil. Chuck, you've been here like a zillion times in the, like the last month. I'm you know. Just, I'm just saying. I'm not complaining, okay. are you? <laughs> <laughs> and whenever we have like an interesting subject where we, we need like a man about town who knows everything about everything, I bring in my friend and colleague, astrophysicist Charles Liu. Yes. It is a pleasure, Chucky Neil. baby. Hey, Chuck. Good hey, to see you. Hey, Chuck. How are you, buddy? I'm well. So, so what we've got here for this show is it's a conversation with Dan Aykroyd. Oh, yes. The Dan Aykroyd. There's only one. Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. The, the Dan blues Ac- brother. Blues brother. A uh-huh. blues brother. A, a founding member of the Not Ready for Primetime Players. That's right. Saturday Night Live. Been in all kinds of movies. So he came to my office, visited me. I, I whipped out the mic. And I said, I'm not letting this go by. Nice. We're going to talk. <laughs> and I'll go put it on Star Talk. So I just, just to remind you, he's, what are some of his other movies? You remember? Oh, let's see. How about Spies Like Us? Yeah, uh-huh. it just goes on. How about and, My Stepmother is an Alien? And who's going to forget Trading Places? Can't trading forget. Places. And Mortimer. Su- <laughs> feeling good. <laughs> feeling good, Mortimer. <laughs> and Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> For right. which he was nominated Mama. for an Academy Award. He was the son. He was the son in yeah. Driving Miss Daisy. Hired right. Morgan Freeman. That's right. So let's go to my first clip in my interview with him. Because uh, in that clip, I just talked about the anatomy of a Saturday Night Live sketch. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it hadn't quite, you know, before then you had vaudeville and things. Well, what is the anatomy of that? And how do, how do they make it work? Let's see. Can you say that there's a science of sketch comedy? Or is it from your gut? I think if you want to look at structure in comedy, uh, where you're going to find structure and science is more in the sitcom realm because it's set-up, delivery, punch, set-up, delivery, punch. It's formulaic. In sketch comedy, it's less formulaic. It's more absurdist. You're never really sure of an ending, so you're you're not so conscious of bringing the scene to a peak and then coming out of an anti-climax and then finishing it on a climax. It's more where the writing and collaboration takes you. So it's less scientific and less formulaic, really. Sketch comedy is much more ephemeral. Yeah, I also noticed that so much of it is in the setup, the humor in just the construct. Is that fair to say? Yeah, the concept of where you're starting out from would hopefully lead you in an organic sense. I think sketch comedy is much more organic than, uh, say, structured film comedy or, Which or sitcoms. Which both. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. The, the sketch comedy, the improv is the purest. And the purest form is, of course, Second City. Your roots. Yes. Second City is Mercury rolling across the table and splitting up into little balls. And sitcom or film is more of a structured molecular picture where you're actually designing and confining things. There is no confinement in improv and there's no confinement in sketch comedy. Sometimes we do scenes at SNL where there really there was no ending. We could just keep going and going and you know we'd decide, well, we got to end it because at three minutes they'd hit the applause button to end the thing. So it's much more open and freeform and I would say organic. So how many comedians get to actually make that transition? 
Because it's not obvious that the improv is going to sit down and write a whole movie. Again, you know, when you're doing uh, structured uh, television and film, you've got to have some discipline there, and that means actually structuring and confining it. The only place where it's really free is in the improv stage at Second City, and that's where you can really, really soar. I was happy to be a part of that, and I'm happy to join people like Betty Thomas, Mike Nichols, Elaine May, Harold Ramis, who were hyphenates. They wrote, they performed, and uh, then went on to take their skills and do great movies like Animal House and uh, Groundhog Day and projects like that, where uh, he took the best of the improvisational world and then confined it and structured it in the world of film so that there was a beginning, middle, and end. Is there any coincidence that one of the most popular children's programs of all time, Sesame Street, it's basically structured like SNL. <laughs> it's sketches. It, it's sketches, but yeah. There's no plot. There's no, no it's just, it let's have fun for three minutes. Yeah, and don't demand too much. You know, you've got mm -hmm. children there watching. You don't demand too much of them, and you, you more try to entertain them, purely entertain them. And that's what the value of Sesame Street is, edutainment. Mm -hmm. uh, but the value of SNL is pure entertainment, where, you know, you're not really looking to sell a lesson like a movie or a sitcom for instance or any hour tv show those are the three major forms an hour drama a half hour sitcom or a movie there's always some kind of moral lesson that they're trying to put across mm -hmm. to you or sort of in the end you have to come out with some kind of view that oh these people are right or they weren't or you have to make a moral judgment with sketch comedy there may be lessons in sesame street there were none in saturday night live <laughs> <laughs> well, I got some important uh, lessons from Saturday Night Live as a kid. Yeah. Charles Liu. Oh, that was your Sesame Street. Is hey. that right? <laughs> I am who I am you today because of that show. What can I say? Not that. So, so Chuck, you're the you're the professional in the room here. So yes, would you agree? There's a science to comedy. Absolutely, as he was saying, uh, without a doubt. I mean, he was he was just deconstructing it all. He really mm. did. I mean, uh, the one thing I will take issue with is the fact that he said. Uh, wait, wait, you're taking issue with Dan Aykroyd? Dan, I listen. Sorry, Dan. I How gotta... many movies you been in? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> three. But that's okay. okay no, sorry, sorry. no, so go but on. But the fact is that. He said that um, sketch is the purest, and I'm sorry, but stand-up is the purest. Stand-up is the purest form of comedy that there is. I'm sorry, Dan Aykroyd, because there is nothing there but you and a microphone, and you have to utilize that to create comedy. That's all you have. Well, I'm you not have... talking about prop comics. I'm talking. They not exist talk... too. The whole, yeah, they got they, a satchel. I know they exist. The satchel full and 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 who the, the who's the one with the the puppet the the, the ventriloquist. The ventriloquist. ventriloquist. Yeah. I, listen, you those... got a ventriloquist dummy? Uh, I do. I uh, <laughs> actually no. My wife has a ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> I forget who I am sometimes. <laughs> wow. Uh, but the truth is that no, stand up is the purest form of comedy because all you have is you want to stand with your words you know and the science that he's that he was talking about is as you you know there's a science to a joke and one of the things that uh, that you'll find and it's a mistake that many uh, younger comics make the longer the setup the harder it is for you to get the payoff so the shorter the setup the bigger the payoff. That is if it's funny. And um, science, In other words, you can fall farther if you have a big setup and it doesn't hit. Absolutely, because yeah. think of it as climbing a ladder and you got to get to the payoff. And ain't nothing on the other side. Right. I'm going to be angry wow. that I climbed exactly. the ladder. <laughs> well, I can tell you something about the science of humor. Not comedy, but humor. What's that? Well, a few years ago, a University of Michigan study, a scientist did some things with various malodorous chemicals and test subjects and proved that farts make everything funnier. Really? Okay. 
Uh, wait, wait, farts uh, or the sound of a fart? Yeah, I was going to no. say because the actual smell of a fart it, it actually make doesn't make funny. anything funnier. <laughs> That's I just what the guy, science says, folks. <laughs> I think this guy was a freak who just liked, you know, malodiferous scents. <laughs> what can I say? But it is true that SNL has avoided flatulent uh, humor. It's whole, it's whole from what I've seen. Good. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, the reason- So you don't have to go there even if it does work. It means you have to be clever to avoid it to still get someone to laugh. Makes sense to me. <laughs> well, when we come back on our next segment of Star Talk, more of my conversation with Dan Aykroyd. In studio, check nice, Charles Liu. We'll be right back. We're back, Star Talk Radio, featuring my in-office interview with Dan Aykroyd. And so, Chuck, I got yeah. you here with me because you're a professional comedian. Yes. I-, I laugh at everything the man does. Uh, Dan Aykroyd or me? (laughs) (laughs) Both, both. (laughs) So, uh, as I said, he's one of the original cast members of Saturday Night Live with Chevy Chase and Gilda Radner and the bunch. And he went on to star in movies like The Blues Brothers. It's one of those movies, if you're channel surfing, you have to you stop. stop. You have to. <laughs> it doesn't matter what football game is on. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. You stop. There's a law. There are laws of physics and there are laws of television <laughs> watching. <laughs> Coming across the Blues Brothers and stopping is a law of television and, and, watching. Uh, it's a law. And not only that, uh, Trading Places is up there with me as well. Oh. You know, you can't, yes. can't argue with like uh, with Eddie Murphy. Once you had a man with no legs, you never go back. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that Those mo- men tried to have sex with me. <laughs> oh, I love it. I freaking love that movie. I feel like every member of Congress should see that movie at least once before they run for office, don't you think? Absolutely. <laughs> well, they, I think members of Congress need to do much more. Than that. <laughs> so, uh, so we've got a, a clip. Uh, so Dan Aykroyd visited me in my office at the Hayden Planetarium and pulled out the mic and asked him everything I could could come up with about comedy, about the science of comedy. And uh, in, this, in this next clip, I would just talk about the, so the timelessness of humor, just to find out, is there such a thing? And mm. what, what can he do with it? And what can he do about it? Let's find out. I always operated on the premise that if I could make myself laugh, then that's one human being that could laugh at any time. You know, be it a thousand, ten thousand years ago, or now, or twenty thousand years in the future, one human being laughs. Maybe you can get five to laugh, and if five laugh, maybe fifteen, and maybe fifty, and maybe five hundred, and maybe five thousand. So I, I always just trusted. That's a lesson in powers of ten. I I just yeah. (laughs) Look, everybody has a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Everybody, and so much so that the federal government of the United States has had to put posters in airports saying, do not joke about <laughs> knives or guns or bombs. We know you, human, have a propensity to humor. We know you like to joke. Well, this is one thing you cannot joke about is a bomb, or we will pull you aside to talk about it. There's a sort of a recognition right there, a federal recognition of the universality of humor. <laughs> so if I can be like fanboy here and... and comment on a scene in Trading Places that my wife noticed after the party, at the party in the in the townhouse, yeah, yeah. okay, that Eddie Murphy hosts, mm-hmm. was his character's name, William... Billy Ray. Billy Ray, yeah. okay? Uh, after the party, and he says, get the F out, mm-hmm. okay? The very next scene is the butler is holding all the jackets, 
because it's the winter, it's Christmas time. And one by one, as they exit, they pull the top jacket off of the pile. Uh-huh. So everyone exited in jacket order. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. film was written by Weingrad and Harris. To my knowledge, they have never written another movie that's been made or that's been a hit. And they wrote it on the fax machine. Uh, one of them lived in L.A. and one of them lived in Michigan. And they basically wrote one of the greatest American comedies without seeing each other. Mm. This is my mm. understanding. Mm-hmm. I had nothing to do with the writing of the film at all. I did have something to do with the title. I forget what they... It wasn't called Trading Places originally. But Mike Eisner and I were sitting in a car in Manhattan trying to come up with a title for this movie, and we're going back and forth, and, and I was saying, The Trade, and he said, Trading Places. And I said, hey, that's why you sit where you are and why I sit why, where I am. Mm-hmm. Everybody liked it. and uh, It's it clean and simple. Yeah. 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 And uh, Eddie Murphy, of course, great young talent at that time uh, with his vibrancy and intelligence it's and second uh, movie, instincts yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, coming off SNL was, uh, was just superb in it. There has been talk of a sequel, which I would love to pursue, because if you look at where finances are in the world today, all these mechanizations and peregrinations of derivative financing that goes on. Science of trading. Yeah, and the bogus science of trading and all the perfidy that goes on, the malfeasance and misfeasance. You could really, really do a great expose of financial perfidy through the Trading Places filter. However, we have to interest Eddie in that and Paramount Pictures. Yeah, yeah. And of I'm course, interested. And of course, we all remember the scene in Coming to America where yeah. you've got the Duke brothers as homeless people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's Landis, John Landis, the yeah. brilliant director who directed mm-hmm. both films. <laughs> no. wow. So I like what he said. He said he wants, he, he's got to be able to laugh at his the joke. Otherwise, he why would he believe anyone else would? Right. But that presupposes that he's got some representative sort of laugh genes for every, for what everybody would find funny. And you're absolutely right. I've seen comics who say jokes and nobody laughs. So clearly they thought somebody was going to laugh. And that's exactly how it works. And this is <laughs> this is why you need an audience. <laughs> this is why no one writes a joke and then gives it to somebody and says, "This is a funny joke, man. Just go do this joke cuz it's funny." You need to test the joke out. There, you know, there is a certain kinship to uh, science and comedy in experimentation. Scientists find out results through experiments. And if it don't work, you change you change the parameters. And you just described how comedy works on a on a very base level. That's exactly all it is. You go out, man, I thought that was funny. Damn. You don't go, what's wrong with these people? That's, that's funny. These people don't know jack crap. No. They don't know from funny. Right. They right. don't know from, no. It's, no. The, the, the results were not what you were looking for as, as the person conducting the experiment. And so what you do is you go back and you change the variables so that you can actually get the results that you desire, which is laughter. Because in, in science, there are delusional scientists who keep trying to think that their experiment is going to work. Yes, that's we right. call them alcoholics <laughs> well we have kinder names for them too chuck but really chuck my question is about timeless humor is there really such a thing or is all humor all about timing that's both Ooh, great great question that is a great question and it is both there is timeless humor okay because there are certain mechanisms of humor that we get now some of them are tied to culture Okay. Mm-hmm. For instance, it's been deemed that the best joke in the world ever written is Henny Youngman, take my wife, please. 
Okay. Ah, okay. Right. It works all the time because you. He told an. Well, it worked enti- before the women's lib movement, right? Okay, <laughs> but he he's told a story. He told an entire story in four words. Mm-hmm. Okay, take my wife, please. You know everything you need to know about that marriage, right? And that's why it's funny. Um, you know, so there is a timelessness, but timing is everything. Without the right timing, you can't get the funny. That's so all there is are to you, it. Uh, can you judge in the present whether something will be funny decades from now? Uh, if take it, for example, it, yes, if, you, if can. you look at I've I've looked at the the, the I M. What if somebody makes this list of I M F, the film people? Yeah, they've got some at, some abbreviation, and they make the funniest films of all time. Right, and some like it hot is on that list perennially. Okay, with Marilyn and Monroe with Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe, Monroe and right. and the two guys, um, uh, Jack. Uh, who are they? Uh, it's Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon. And you. Uh, go ahead. But yeah, yeah, Marilyn Monroe, Jack Lemon. That's the main characters. Yeah. So uh, and Tony Curtis, of course. That's it. Tony yeah. Curtis. So that's always put back at the list, no matter who's making the list. Now these aren't just people old enough to remember it; they're people who've seen it afresh. Right. So, well, the 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 reason is because if you are dealing with anything that is human, human nature is timeless comedy. Okay, uh-huh. why do you think comedians who talk about their families and their children, Bill Cosby, one of the one of the most beloved comics of all time, who never said a cuss word, never in his said life. a cuss word in his life, <laughs> didn't it. have to because he's using subject matter that we all relate to. You know, it's you know, my kids, you see, my kids, <laughs> well, I don't know what it is about <laughs> the children and my wife Claire. I said to Claire, you know, when they came well, to dad, this is great. He gave us the chocolate, and like you get okay. the whole. thing thing you get you feel you, him you feel it all you feel it you feel and it. anybody who's been a child has a child a brother or sister an uncle you get that wow. and so human nature makes for timeless comedy my, one of my favorite lines of his we talked about who's the stupidest person in his house is the father right because oh, yeah. he don't know where anything is exactly. you ask him he right. don't know where he, he can't cook he don't know <laughs> right it just goes down the it's list. down the list as to and believe it or not he gave rise to the oafish dad which has become a sitcom stable it mm-hmm. is to- where completely. the dad is a complete and total oaf well that came out of bill cosby going you know i don't know anything because I can't find my socks. Charles, how long is Big Bang Theory going to be funny? Uh, well, I don't think it's funny anymore. <laughs> okay. I ended that. Well, Sorry. Okay. We're done with that, Charles. No, 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 no. In, look. No, no. Wait, wait. In Big Bang Theory, they make something funny even if you don't know the science behind the humor. It's still funny to see the, the, the characters interact. Right. For that, I am willing to give it that, yes. But it, it's a little long in the tooth, don't you think? It's that whole timing, timeless thing. Except that it's number one sitcom on television. I don't, I don't know how long a tooth you're going to describe it if that's what you're going to say it is. Don't can't argue Charles. with that. When, can't argue with that. Don't hate on it. <laughs> <laughs> when, when we come back, more of my interview with Dan Aykroyd, Star Talk on the Science of Humor. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. 
Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. We're back. Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. Today we're featuring my in-office interview with Dan Aykroyd. And I got in studio Chuck Nice hey, hey. and Charles Liu. Hey, Neil. Sometimes known as Chuck Liu. I got two Chucks in the <laughs> to, with me. Two buck Chuck. Uh, right before. <laughs> two Chuck bucks. Charles Liu was worth a little more than two bucks. Uh, before we went to break, Charles, I, I just wanted to get your reactions on, on the Big Bang Theory, which yeah. is the number one sitcom on television. I know. So it caricatures geeky scientists, basically. Yeah. So, so I want to ask you, what do you think about jokes that require that the whole – Chuck spoke earlier about the setup. Right. And if you have a big setup, you got to have a big payoff. Otherwise, you'll piss people off. Right. So there's a lot of humor in science that I think is untapped. No, it's But so then true. you got to prep people for it so right. that they find out why it's funny. Yeah. It's a matter of hitting close enough to home that you're sort of violating some safe zone. So it's like funny. It makes you laugh. But at the same time, you're not going too far. Charles, what's your scientific safe zone? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was an episode of The Big Bang Theory where Stan Lee was featured in it, the comic the, the, book The great guy. comic book yeah. illustrator. Now, yes. it turns out that I collected comic books for a large portion of my childhood. And so. then your parents threw them out when you went to college. No, right? I have them all in my office. <laughs> so, you're, so you're worth a zillion dollars, right? Uh, most of the stuff isn't worth the paper. It's printed on anymore. But yes, there are a few. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, I just remember watching that episode or toward the end of that episode and saying, oh, okay. But for some reason, it didn't get through my safe zone, didn't get through my comfort zone. I wasn't able to like say, hey, wow, that was something unusual. And made me laugh. Okay, I laugh uh -huh. every time, so it's something wrong with you, I think. I think so. <laughs> I, see, I, I'm, this is a completely unrelated, but I have a scientific safe word, and it's Higgs boson. And <laughs> that, that stops the beating when it gets a little it out sounds, of hand. It sounds like, <laughs> no, no, it sounds like the, the punchline of a joke. <laughs> right. He thought he was a Higgs boson. <laughs> well, Dan Eckroyd is not only humor, he has a huge uh, interest in the blues. As do I, except mine is more just I'll listen to stuff I like, and oh. he's into it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just a passing interest with the uh, with the Blues Brothers uh, as as a Blues Brother. So let's just find out what he taught. Just think about Aykroyd and blues. Say what he says. I love the blues, and if it comes on on the radio. Now you can just go to a whole blues station on, on Sirius XM, of course. But in the old days, if there was a blues song that came on the radio, I'd have to pull over to the side of the road and just stop. My, my, drink in the motion. Of my boot hits the accelerator <laughs> when I hear a blues tune. <laughs> if you look at what America's given the world, you can look at science and you can look at culture and art and books and movies. I think something that really connects to everybody is the roots of rock and roll and the roots of all music today, and that is blues music, deriving directly from the slave ships coming over to the southern delta in the United States. The field haulers onto the front porches, harmonicas, cigar box banjos the anatomy uh, of the genre uh, yeah and the instrumentality of it the wash tub 
and then into church where the organ was put into it and then back out to the juke joints where now the piano and the organ join with drums and then the Spanish invented the electric pickup for the guitar so you had all of a sudden now blues players plugging in you know the migration of black labor up through Memphis and into Chicago and then finally sitting down in chess studios where you had it all coalesced together with Muddy Waters and the things he was producing where you had the Hammond B3 organ, the electric pickup, the electric harmonica, all of the things from the juke joints and from the fields coming in and being plugged it's in. It's an American story. And it's an American story that's went out to the world that produced British blues, Led Zeppelin, the Animals, the Beatles, the Stones, everything that's come out of Britain came out of that Chicago melting pot, that stew of blues music, and it is distinctly American. There are Norwegians who can play the blues, and I've jammed with them. There are Japanese no, no, people Nor- who can play the blues. I've, no, I've Norway and the blues, just those two words, I've never seen them uh, in the same a, There's a guy named Anders Osborne. He's a Swedish-born player. He lives in New Orleans, Louisiana. He is a great player. Yeah. Anna Popovich is a, is a, a Croatian mm-hmm. player. And boy, can she play. But, you see, those countries where they come from, they did not originate yeah, blues music. It happened here. Mm-hmm. And it spread to the world, and it gave all of these people from Sweden and Norway and Japan uh, a pleasure that they still live today, and that's distinctly from the American Delta and from the African-American cultural experience. But I have to tell you that when I heard James Taylor's Steamroller Blues, I, I couldn't feel him in that song. <laughs> you, you know, there are moments when I love me some James Taylor, but... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I can't turn to James Taylor for the blues. No, you might turn to him for for other things, but you can turn to Eric Clapton for the blues. And and there's a guy from Stepney. He was not a slave, and he was not a factory worker, but yet he is one of the greatest blues men of all time. Mm -hmm. It's in him. It's in him, and it came through his embrace of the blues culture that we get as gift today. Okay. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't feel James Taylor's blues? Neil. I'm sorry. I, I'm, what do you want? It's from? like I me and Big Bang Theory. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait, wait, so, wait, so, wait. I, I'd be very disappointed in Neil as a black man if he actually felt James Taylor for the blues. <laughs> okay. I'm just sorry. I, I hate to say it. I hate to break it down upon those lines. Wait, Charles, if your science isn't going straight, do you get feel the blues a little? Do you feel like writing a blues song? Oh, I song? love the blues. My experiment. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah. It didn't work. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. That's a common theme. When we come back to Star Talk Radio, more of my interview with Dan Aykroyd in studio, Chuck Nice, and my friend and colleague, Charles Lee, will be right back. back star talk radio my interview with dan Aykroyd. i, I think of him as a, as an american icon but of course he's canadian <laughs> <laughs> just when you thought we it was one of us maybe right? he's an honorary <clears throat> minnesotan <laughs> well so he, he's into a lot of stuff and one of them he's like he's a liquor distributor he's into like vodka whoa yeah 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 i like him more and more <laughs> <laughs> now, I, lo- I love me some science of alcohol but let's find out what what he's all about here i learned that you're responsible for this skull of liquor in mm. every bar that i've been in in the last two years not enough bars <laughs> <laughs> and i love this who doesn't love a skull the skull I mean, is based on the 13 crystal heads. 
13 of them were supposed to have been ascribed to uh, origins in, in Aboriginal culture. The Mayans, the Navajo, the Aztec were said to have had these crystal skulls, which were scrying devices. They were crystal balls they looked into to uh, project the future of the tribe. And, and Wait, uh, one of the Indiana Jones relics was a, a skull. Yes, it was the correctly. Mitchell Hedges skull. And, and oh, excuse Al- me, had a na- excuse me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it has a name. <laughs> yeah, Mitchell Hedges was the explorer whose granddaughter discovered the skull. Now, the woman at the Smithsonian, who has two crystal heads, I believe she has a cloudy white one and a cloudy green one, she says they're all fakes, but there are some that claim that uh, they really are, have Aboriginal origins, and the Navajo and the Aztec and the Mayans said they came from the star children given to us to give us guidance. And in the Spielberg movie, of course, there was an extraterrestrial origin to them. What the legend did for us when serving our vodka, it helped us to underwrite our uh, message of purity because many lesser expensive vodkas add the following things. I don't mention names, but many vodkas on the bar, if you open them up, they smell like Chanel number no. five. And why is that? because they add propylene glycol, uh, which you know is a preservative and an antifreeze. They do that to produce an extra viscosity. We do not need that extra viscosity. Propylene glycol, that's like in every thick liquid you buy you got in, in a cosmetics we shop. St- we took that out of our vodka. The next mm-hmm. thing they add is lemonine, which is a citrus oil, which is a bug exterminant or a caustic cleanser. They do that to increase the sweetness. Well, we don't need that because we have peaches and cream corn in our mash and that produces a natural sweetness. And then the other thing they add is sugar. All we have is H2O and, and then C2H506. That's it. That's the formula for Crystal Head. That would be it, water plus alcohol. Yes. And if you look... That's the simplest alcohol. It is simplest ethanol. alcohol. It, ethanol? It, yes, it's simplest? corn. Yes. Yeah. Now, if you look at the molecular equation for glycol, which I just mentioned, and citrus oil, and then sugar, you see a string that just goes way, way out to the end of the page. And I tell bartenders, why do you want that crap in there? You're making a Long Island bar car martini, it doesn't call for citrus oil, why not use a zero additive vodka? And that's what we have. Crystal Head is cleanest vodka on the planet. It is a wellness product that has won quadruple medals. Wait, did I just hear you say, we have a wellness vodka? (laughs) Yes. Boy, I could get in trouble for that. It's in all the yoga spots. And of course, crystal then is the right word for it. I mean, the crystal spheres, before we understood gravity, planets were said to be orbiting in crystal spheres. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they were crystal is because they knew some were farther away than the others. And if they were embedded in a sphere, Mm -hmm. you had to be able to see through that sphere to get Mm -hmm. to the other spheres. Right. So it had to be made of something transparent. Hence the crystal spheres. Purity and clarity. There and trans- it is. Translucency. So, now, at the heart of our planet, we know there's the mantle and there's the, the, the magma. Is there a crystal? No. 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 no crystal. There's no. no crystal. What's there? Just a... No, no. There's an iron sphere. It's molten, but it's molten. It's, it, it's molten, but it yeah. is a perfect iron sphere right there in the center of our planet. Right there. Right. But it's not magic that it's a sphere because no. back when Earth was entirely molten, mm-hmm. if you're heavy, you go to the middle. Yeah. If you're light, you float to the top. And so the heaviest stuff in town is the iron, platinum... But there's uh, a symmetry, a total symmetry. But but it all goes to the center of this object. And gravity comes from every direction. So gravity likes spheres. Mm -hmm. And if you're above a certain size, Mm -hmm. where the gravity is stronger than the strength of the rock, Mm -hmm. gravity will turn you into a sphere. And that's why all little things in the solar system look like Idaho potatoes. They're not big enough for their own gravity to 
turn them into so a sphere. So at the core center of our planet, there's just that molten Yeah, it's ball. a sphere, and the moltenicity of it is what gives us our magnetic field. And in the center of that, there's nothing. It's just a molten. No, it's just still, it's more molten. <laughs> more, 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 more. Yeah, oh, you want some molten. diamond crystals. How about, we just walked into the museum today, and we saw the Stribnite down in there. In okay, the oh yeah, isn't that, isn't that quite that, a thing? And, and how you about, want that to be down in yeah, the middle, yeah. yeah. And, and how about uh, in Mexico, this crystal cave, where the structures are three to four to five feet across, and 50 feet high. Well, I mean, because you need the empty space for the crystals to grow yeah, into. right, yeah. Right, so caves are great yeah. repositories of uh -huh. crystals. Yeah. yeah, the center of the Earth is too much weight above to think that we're going to have empty space. My boy's talking about everything yeah, under the was. sun. Okay, I, here's, I just got to say this, I got to get it off my chest. I just love the fact that Neil uh, kind of pointed out when you open up a crystal head vodka, it smells just a tiny bit like BS. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help it, I'm sorry. <laughs> So, you're listening to Star Talk Radio. We'll be back with my interview with Dan Aykroyd in just a moment. Star Talk Radio, our last segment featuring my interview with Dan Aykroyd. So, Chuck, no, it wasn't BS. I mean, he he's quite proud of what he does not put in his product. Hey, listen, I'm cool with that, Neil. We're talking about Dan Aykroyd's vodka. Uh, Dan Aykroyd's vodka, but here's the thing. You what? were incredulous, and rightfully so. Like, are you trying to tell me you have a wellness vodka? And yeah. he was like, he absolutely. Used, <laughs> he used on. wellness in the same sentence as vodka. Right. Okay, yes, that may be a on. first. Come on. Well, have you tried it yet? No. But well, I, then there you go. Well, <laughs> look, I, gotta... I haven't tried flying, but I'm pretty sure I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me point something out also. Look, you can't have just pure ethanol and pure water because oh, it doesn't I taste it, like anything. I called it, uh, now, what did I call it? You said that it was the simplest alcohol. It and, turns out that- And I, I said it was meth methanol. No, uh, you did say it was ethanol, which oh, is no, correct. No, I said it was ethanol, sorry. Yes, it was correct, but then you said it was the simplest, simplest. alcohol, which it is not. The oh. simplest alcoholic molecule is called methanol. That's okay, the so I labeled stuff. the alcohol correctly. Yes. I just didn't say that it was the simplest one. Right. So the simplest one is- Methanol. Methanol. Which if you drink, you will go blind, so don't drink it. Mm. But oh. ethanol is the stuff we can tolerate in small amounts because our liver can deal with it before we so, die. Uh, so, Chuck, I'm the old list of things that will make you go blind? <laughs> methanol? <laughs> methanol is on that list. Oh, oh you're not going there, are you? <laughs> oh, come on. It's way down on that list. Is that list. the anatomy of humor you're referring to there, Neil? I was all implied But there. see, guess what? That's part of the science of humor. Uh, we all know what makes you go blind. So if you don't mention it, it's funny. When you do mention it, now it's hack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm just impressed just the breadth of the stuff I could talk about. That he's deeply curious about the world. Plus, I mean, he's got a passion for science as well. Good for him. And but, uh, You know what? That makes sense, though. I have by yet the, you know, When I first met him, because oh. he's in a special family membership at the American Museum of Natural History. Okay. And the family members, there's a special family night, and he comes in with, he came in with his kids. Wow. So, yeah, every comedian that I meet that's good at doing this. You bring up science, and they light up, and they want to start talking to you. Mm. Every wow. comedian I meet, mm. I don't care who they are, what club I'm at, you bring up science, and they're like, oh, yeah. And they're almost a little embarrassed about it, but they start talking to you about it. So it makes sense. Wonderful. Well, I asked him, just how does he feel about the science we know, the science we don't know? Just where does he land on that landscape? And let's find out what he told me. 
Dan, in this interview, you've been whipping out chemical terms, uh, <laughs> geological terms, biological terms. Fess up. Come on. What are you doing in your free time? Tell me. Well, I'm listening to you, Professor, <laughs> and always following what you have to say and always interested in, in publications like Popular Science and Scientific American. And you know, my dad was a highway engineer, and so geology was a big part of his background and physics and tangents and curves and you could rip through a cosine no problem and tell you what uh, I love it ripping through a cosine yeah I love that my pop built a beautiful highway in Canada called the Gatineau Parkway and he laid out this highway and blasted through a granite mountain and uh, has always been interested in the, the geophysical world so you know I kind of got a little, a little bit from him but I'm always learning and always want to learn and uh, I think that the motto of, uh, of Star Talk is that Science is the new rock and roll. <laughs> oh, nice. did we, did we, did we, did we bronze that or uh, or gild that statement? Science producers, have we? Yeah, can we? Can we keep that? <laughs> Although and, and, you know, science is older than rock and roll, so maybe yeah, bit, rock yeah. and roll is the new science. That Ooh. just doesn't work, though, Charles. <laughs> oh. Nobody, nobody's going for that. Don, you know, uh, Charlotte's Web author E.B. White yes. once said, "Analyzing humor is like dissecting a frog. Not a lot of people are interested, and the frog dies." <laughs> Lost me again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think it's a pretty safe Chuck, bet to say that E.B. White references are never funny. <laughs> Chuck, I'm going to leave the comedy to you. I'll stick with the science of humor and wonder whether I have any funny in me at all. Wait, so Chuck, getting back to your point that the best comedians you've seen, they embrace science, even if they don't necessarily understand it, they understand that it's something to to want to know about. You know what? Because in order to be a good comedian, you have to be intellectually curious. I don't care. They're, they're, As all scientists are. Right. And that's like part of, like like you said to me one time, all children are scientists. Yeah, yeah. We, we just beat it out of them. That's exactly <laughs> right. Spent, we, spent we the get first them, year teaching them to walk and talk right. and the rest of their life telling them to shut up and it, sit down. Exactly. So, you know, the fact is, in order to be a good stand-up comic, you have to be intellectually curious. You, you read everything because what you're looking for is an angle you're looking for a reference to look at things differently but than others. You need enough people to know enough science to make any reference to that at all. Otherwise, it'll fall flat. Well, see, this is the thing. Like, as when you go out and do humor, okay, talk about reading a room. When I walk into a room, I have to be able to read that room within five to seven seconds to figure out who am I talking to? Not eight seconds. To whom am I talking? Not eight <laughs> seconds. Five to seven. <laughs> this it's is psychology. not- Right. This is not seven-minute abs. And you this can't, is six-minute abs. Six-second six, six abs. And you can't give them a survey in advance. Right. You got to feel them. You got to feel that out. And if the if the crowd is a dumb crowd, you got a problem on your hands. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so E.B. White comments aside, there's actually hope for me. <laughs> He didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I won't quit my day job, gentlemen. Listen, you've been listening to Star Talk Radio. Find us on the web, startalkradio.net. And we tweet, Star Talk Radio, of course. Chuck, you tweet. You're, you're, you're yes, at Chuck Liu. At Chuck Liu. And Chuck Nice tweets at Chuck Nice Comic. At Chuck Nice Comic. And I tweet, too. Do you want to hear my tweet? Go ahead. It's Neil Tyson. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Exotic. Star Talk Radio, brought to you in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, signing off as as always, by bidding you to keep looking up.